Poise for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now, here's your host, award-winning certified exit planning advisor, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. In today's show, we're featuring an M&A advisor whose topic for today on deal structure and rollover equity is one that many business owners need to hear and learn about, especially now. We're going to hear from him soon, but first our sponsors, TrustPoint and Sunbelt Business Advisors. TrustPoint will design and manage a 401k plan that fits your company's needs. They handle everything from the record keeping and investments to employee education and ongoing administration. And they take on the highest level of fiduciary responsibility to ensure your 401k plan is compliant. You already have plenty to keep you up at night. Your 401k plan should not be one of them. Let their experts help you with a complete plan solution, saving you time to focus on what you do best your business. Visit TrustPointInc.com for more details. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at SunbeltMinnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. Hello, Poised for Exit listeners. We are here today with Michael Hubsmith, who's a senior M&A advisor with True North M&A. Michael, welcome to Poised for Exit. Thank you, Julie. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here. I'm super excited to talk about this rollover equity topic because I think that it's um, kind of a misunderstood uh, pathway for a lot of sellers, right? Um, So many times they have a feeling that when it's time for them to exit or sell their business, that it has to be all or nothing, and it really doesn't. And so we're going to talk today about how that can happen for them and what some of the criteria are. But before we do that, I like to start by just having you as my guest um, share with our audience, how did you get where you are? Like what led you to become an M&A advisor, Michael? Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very rich question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had a, uh, what I would call a, a, a colorful business career for over 30 years, um, leading both uh, public and private companies. Um, I, uh, co-founded and founded two companies um, and um, was in seven different ownership transactions during the course of my career, Um, mostly on the sell side, but also on the buy side. After about three weeks of retirement, I realized that I needed to kind of get back in the game and uh, decided to leverage this experience that I had in in, uh, M&A transactions with companies that I was was running 
um, to try and help founders and business owners make the most of their life's work um, when they're getting ready to exit their company. So, and, and it's fun. I'm sure it is. I mean, since you've been through it in so many different ways, that brings a lot of rich experience to you and your work and as an advisor. I mean, I know just from my experience, being a business owner my whole life makes huge, you know, impact when working with my clients, right? You, you've been there, you've got experience, right? You know, I, I, I like to, you know, one of the things that I, that I say to, uh, to business owners as I'm getting to know them is, is that like them, I've signed both sides of the check, both the endorsement and, and the guarantor. I feel like, you know, I, I, I understand their pain. I lived through 2001, through the recession of 2008, and that was after two decades of kind of economic turbulence in the 80s and the 90s. Yes. Um, and so there's no doubt that uh, you get seasoned um, along the way. And uh, I feel like I can you know, add that to the relationship that I'm building with a prospective client. I'm sure that they really appreciate that too, because there's this thing called empathy and those kinds of trust, trusted advisor relationships. That's kind of the number one thing we have to be able to relate to where they're coming from and, and what they're feeling. And we know that, um, you know, things have really changed a lot in, in the last six to 12 months. So let's start with talking about rollover equity and what it is like if we were going to talk about risks and rewards from that angle. Well, let me let me kind of pull back a little bit and say, you know, one of the questions that we are frequently getting from sellers um, as they think about exiting their business is how are rising interest rates impacting the M&A world? I, I want to be clear first that I'm not an economist. I um, am not going to address interest rates and where they are going or not going. Um, I'm not an attorney. I don't offer legal advice. I'm not a tax advisor. I don't offer tax advice, but I do try to offer practical business experience, but always recommend that, you know, a client builds a team with a tax advisor, with a transaction attorney, and with an M&A advisor or with a business broker. Right. And an exit planner. And an exit planner. Excuse me. Yes, absolutely. An exit planner. Do not mean to minimize that because... It is really important that we start focusing on what that seller is going to do the day after the transaction closes and what that's going to look like. Right. Um, and it's it's not just about um, the sale. It's really about the human reasons why they got to this point and, and where they want to go after. But with that being said, um, you know, there's no doubt that interest rates are starting to affect total enterprise values of transactions. Buyers, uh, by nature, need to be risk avoidant. Um, and especially when it comes to their leverage and making sure that their debt service ratios are in compliance with their lending banks. Debt service is is really about, um, you know, just keeping in mind that every business has to make timely debt payments. They have to be able to, through their cash flow, be able to pay all expenses and have a cushion for a rainy day. And it doesn't matter whether you're a $100 million business or a $1 million business. Those are the same conditions that a bank lends money on. As you know, deal makers, um, you know what we're seeing with uh, rising interest rates is it's an opportunity. The sure. most effective way for sellers to increase uh, their total enterprise value um, is with uh, with creative terms. Um, you know, price is important in a transaction, uh, but terms usually define a good deal for the seller and the buyer. Mm-hmm. Getting the most out of the terms requires an experienced deal maker who maximizes cash but finds other levers to increase the enterprise value. One of those levers is called rollover equity. One of the trends that we're seeing is more and more private equity groups or pegs, as we call them, um, are pushing their platforms to grow through acquisition more aggressively than ever before. They're rewarded 
based on the growth and profitability of these platform companies. The best way to approach it is, is to buy it versus build it or grow organically. Um, it's kind of the flavor of the day. Um, it's often faster and less risky than trying to start new business initiatives with those platforms. And at the same time, um, you know, what we're seeing is, is a lot of, um, of hybrid M&A transactions. You know, this is partly influenced, I think, because of our relationship with our brother and um, Sunbelt Business Advisors, who are working with Main Street business owners um, and True North mergers and acquisitions, who are, we're working with what we call the lower middle market, which is effectively $10 million to about $200 million in revenue. But there's this whole breed of, of businesses that are between 5 and $10 million, um, and we're calling those hybrids. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, what hybrid means is, is that they may wind up, um, you know, going through a similar process of sale as a, as a Main Street or possibly as an M&A transaction with some variations. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that. But these are nice, healthy companies. Um, and they are really, um, you know, kind of uh, just, just a hot feeding frenzy for these private equity groups, platform companies. And this is an excellent place to start thinking and exploring rollover equity. You know, I love this because I would have to say that the vast majority of the companies that I work with are in that space. And, you know, running a process, I think, is it makes a lot of sense looking at all these other options. It's great to know that there's, you know, potential out there for them to look at all these different options. And and, and we'll maybe talk a little bit more about this as we go further into it. But, um, you know, there's tax advantages. Right. Um, and, um, and, and, and IRS codes that actually facilitate rollover equity um, and making it a good deal for the seller. But it used to be a, a term that was really regulated only to larger M&A, well, l- larger transactions of the yeah. lower money market. Right. Um, and it, it tended to be, you know, only private equity groups, not strategics, because usually the strategic comes in, they say they want to buy the whole company. Maybe they'll do an earnout, which nobody really likes earnouts. But uh, roller equity um, has a tremendous potential for a second bite on the apple. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that, uh, you know, what we've seen is, is, is as these hybrids are coming to market, um, you know, they don't have as sophisticated of uh, an infrastructure often as what a typical lower middle market company will have. But by the owners of, of that company that is being sold to the private equity group platform, um, they're starting to show the real confidence that they have in their business um, because they're aligning their interests with the private equity groups in terms of growth. You know, in a in a in a rollover equity scenario, it helps to reduce the amount of leverage that the private equity group needs to put on to acquire in the company, but um, it allows the seller to retain a minority interest in the business post transaction. So then what are you seeing in terms of the role that these sellers are playing going forward in these scenarios? Um, you know, it's, it can be as, um, as minimal as 5%. We don't see a lot of that, um, but it's between 10 and 20%, commonly 20%. Okay. So ownership wise, but what about their actual role in the company? That's something that comes up. Oh, I mean, you mean the, the uh, um, employment role? Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. No. So, uh, you know, often, uh, you know, in, the biggest risk in, in any of these transactions is the uh, integration, the transition and integration step, right? Yeah. How does the acquired company integrate into the acquiring company? Mm-hmm. Um, and the best ambassador for that is nine times out of 10, the former owner of the company. Mm-hmm. 
and, and keeping them around in a positive way um, and influencing the, the culture um, and, and fostering the integration um, is, is really an important part of, uh, of any acquisition. I'm sure. Yeah. We've heard the disaster stories. We've heard the story of where, you know, the, the, you know, the former owner is still around and he's bitter um, and he's poisoning the well of the employees, um, you know, a strong leader can do just the opposite. They can inspire the, the entire company to rise to the next level of performance, um, which is obviously what is in the best interest of the private equity group, as well as the, uh, the owner that's rolled over some equity. And so interests are definitely aligned. I would think so. Now, we talked earlier about what some of the criteria might be from you know, the, 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 the point of view of the buyer from the private equity firm. Obviously, they're, they're interested in working with sellers who are enthusiastic about their businesses, bullish, right? We talked about that. And, and so I'm sure that that's high on the list, like you said. But, but what are some of the other things that they look for? Say, for instance, we've got listeners out there who are thinking, gee, maybe this is something that I should pursue. Uh, what are some of the things that they need to know? Well, you know, I think they should consider, um, you know, number one, um, you know, as, as they look at uh, the risk reward of any investment, um, you know, is it, a, is it appropriate for their own net worth? Um, and, you know, typically what we're seeing here is, is, is that for the seller, um, the, the rollover equity with the qualified PE firm um, is sometimes even more valuable than the initial equity injection. Right. Um, and, you know, their hold period for a lot of these private equity groups is between um, five and seven years, typically. Um, and it's not unusual for a um, you know, kind of a 20% return um, on that rollover equity stake. Well, um, and like you said, Michael, uh, it's an investment that these sellers are familiar with, right? Absolutely. And, and, and they, they know their business. They know, they know what their business is capable of. Um, they can help guide the private equity team to invest behind what they know the strategy should be. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's really a win-win for both the buyer and the seller in that case. That's where success lies, right? When there is a win-win situation like that. I, I, I love, um, the opportunity for a seller to be able to have that, uh, second bite of the apple, you know, participating in that upside, uh, because I think that, um, it, it sometimes maybe just rejuvenates them, Right. Um, Absolutely. Even more excited about the future of what they started and what they founded. Yeah. It's, it's, it's usually it's inspiring for them. Absolutely. Um, And, um, you know, at at the same time, I mean, you know, it's um, often a really high return for a relatively low risk um, in terms of investment um, vehicle. Um, If you're watching the stock market this morning, you're you're watching a lot of red ink go all over the place again. Um, And, um, you know, most Business owners, founders are selling their business, and this is their this is their retirement nest egg. Um, and so, this can be a great place not to put a hundred percent, obviously, but to put a small percentage to work um, where you're going to have a very nice return. Now, there are a lot of other conditions that need to be thought of, and not just what the return is going to look like, but making sure the deal gets structured correctly. Right? You know, the seller needs to understand the the class of equity that the PE firm owns, and that they're getting the same class. Um, or what is the step down from a preferred class to a common class? 
the seller should have the right to hold the equity until a exit event occurs, uh, meaning when the private equity group is ready to sell. Uh, this is usually when the best pricing is achieved for a successful company. Sure. There are ways to exit earlier for that, that role of equity seller, but the highest return they're going to see is, is when the private equity group decides that they're now ready to, to move on. They've conditioned the company that they acquired um, to usually be, you know, higher in revenue, uh, more profitable. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's now ready to go back to the market I and mean, why it'll achieve a, a, a much higher price than what it than what it sold for, say, five years earlier. So let's talk a little bit about structure. Um, you alluded to that before. I think that that would be something that would uh, that listeners would be interested in hearing about. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, so you know, typically, you know, one of the things um, that a concern that, that I hear from from sellers when they start thinking about owning a piece of NUCO, um, the new company that that uh, emerges after the transaction closes, right. which is typically the structure that a PE firm will use is they'll create a new company to right. buy the existing company. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, one of their concerns is, well, I don't control the income statement any longer. I don't control the pocketbook. Um, you know, what are what kind of management fees will the private equity group be taking? Um, what other uh, distribution of uh, of profits will the private equity be, group be taking? And will I be afforded that same opportunity to be able to take some of those distributions? Um, and so all of that is, is really careful negotiation. Um, it definitely involves a strong M&A advisor um, with a strong transaction attorney um, to, to really be able to hammer that down because you want to get that done right and get it done right up front. You know, nothing would be more distressing than rolling over equity and, and watching the private equity firm basically just empty the cupboards of, of, of all the cash every year um, and starve the company from, from growth. And so the seller wants to have uh, an opportunity to participate in that and to understand what the motives are for when they're taking distributions. But then uh, you also talked about seniority ranking and not just the percentage of ownership, but like the, like who comes first, in other words, right? When you're, when you're talking about like lean positions on real estate, obviously who's at, whoever's in first lean position is the first one to get paid off. Well, and, and almost always in these kind of transactions, the bank yeah. has the senior position, right? I mean, and it's, it's no different than when the, when the, uh, the seller owned the business. Um, the banks always had the first position and they, and they would get paid first. The question is, is then who has the second position? And is there a, what's called a peri parsu distribution? If there were a liquidation, um, you know, one for one for the private equity group and for the equity holder and that they're not going to be fenced out of that. And again, that, that is something that needs to be baked into an operating agreement. For sure. Is it often that. Uh, when a firm comes in and is interested in acquiring one of these lower middle market companies that they ask the founder who may be the CEO at the time to remain in that seat? You know, often as a mentor, um, you know, it really depends on on what that CEO's role was in his own company. Yes. If that CEO was the guy who was really running the operations and, and, and really, you know, making sure that everything um, was done in accordance with what they were trying to drive the P&L for, then, you know, they're going to probably find an operating role for him to, to be able to mentor somebody to take on that responsibility. If it's a, um, you know, often we'll see a, a magnanimous personality and a CEO that is out being the number one sales guy. And so that, you know, that role of, of how we're going to transition those relationships from existing customers 
to the new management team um, is a role that that owner will play is, is making sure that the, the new lead salesperson is getting the right introductions and, and is nurturing those relationships. So there's not a disruption. Well, and I have to say too, uh, this is part of the work that I do when, when we're looking at this as a possible exit option where it's a partial exit. Uh, I, I really encourage my clients to think about what they want to be doing in the future. Like, does your role, should your role change? Are you, are you tired of running the show? Do you want to go back into that sales role, right? Because some people really want to do that and then others don't. And then there's some who would prefer not to, to work 60 hours a week and would like to dial it back, but would still like to be involved. And so maybe I just ask that next, the situation where a seller doesn't necessarily have a full-time role, Maybe they're a consultant for a year or two years. They got a seat on the board. They're helping with the integration process. Does that happen in these situations or do they really want that seller to stay involved until the second bite? It's a, a case by case situation. There's sure. not, a, not a steadfast rule. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think that a responsible private equity group um, is going to ask a lot of basic questions as they start to get to know that seller. You know, I mean, you know, how will the sale um, impact um, your team members? Um, you know, the fear of, of I bought the company, but two days later, everybody quit. Um, they want to start to think about what that might look like, what the risks are there. It's all yeah. about risk avoidance for these for these investors, these private equity groups. Right. Um, you know, how would the sale impact your clients? Um, you know, they, they want to think through this because that's really going to help determine what the role of, of that former owner is going to be. Um, if these are vulnerabilities, then they need to make sure that, that there's a transition period where that owner is going to make sure that these kind of situations don't occur. And, you know, I got to I got to say, too, that uh, when you talk about preparation emotionally, logistically, um, that's the work that I do. Right. So that when mm-hmm. they've gotten to a point where they're ready to make a decision or look at what their options are and work with somebody like you, a lot of this stuff has already been figured out. So they already know what to expect. We've already gone through some pre-due diligence work. Um, They've made some determinations. And I think that that just makes for not only a more educated seller, but also a smoother transaction that they're not going to derail. Absolutely. You know, and and in tandem with with your efforts, I mean, you know, we're going to, you know, we're always going to be you know, mindful of, do they want to stay involved after the sale? Right. And that leads to the question of, well, what are you going to do the day after we sell your business? With the day after that, that there's a new owner, are you ready to exit? Um, and how is your life prepared for that? Financially, do you have enough money to retire? But emotionally, do you have enough things to fill your, your day? Um, and often for a lot of business owners who have been working 60 hours a week for 30 years, you just can't flip off the switch. I couldn't. Um, you need to have some kind of a, of a transition path, and that usually involves, you know, something that, um, you know, that you're comfortable with. And that was, you know, you asked me early in the, how I got to be an M&A advisor. It was because I was comfortable with, with all the transactions I had been through. I felt like I'd learned enough lessons. These business owners are going to carry that same knowledge base. Um, they know their company. They know their market. A private equity group acquiring them would be crazy not to want to have them around and have them sharing some of their insights. Um, they're a very, very valuable part of the transaction. But finding the balance between how involved um, is, I think, a case-by-case uh, situation. And it depends on the seller, but also depends on on what the buyer's plans are for the business, what else is in their portfolio. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things that we we often see is, is, is that, you know, the portfolio has somebody in position that could come in and, and run the, the acquired company on a day-to-day basis if necessary. Again, mindful of that that risk avoidance 
nature of, of the way they're approaching this. They're always thinking, you know, what could go wrong before it does go wrong. Well, that's what we have to do. That's what we're paid to do too, right? Absolutely. For sure. So um, let's talk a little bit um, about what, like, say, for instance, there's some, there's a, a seller out there who has, you know, been really enlightened here. This is an interesting conversation. They want to know more. Um, they're thinking about this particular option for their business because they know that they're not really done yet, but they want to be partially done, right? Mm-hmm. They or Or maybe they just are at a point where they can't grow it. Uh, alone anymore that they need to have that extra help that extra recap to 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 take it to the next level what are some things that that sellers could be working on over say for instance they're working on it in 2023 maybe 2024 i don't know uh, what people's timelines are but but what's your recommendation well you know i think you know one of the most important things um is the balance sheet um a lot of a lot of business owners brokers, advisors, they focus on the P&L, um, the income statement, and they get very concerned about, you know, well, what are these expenses? Um, but I, I have found that there is um, more value in conditioning the balance sheet um, because, you know, one of the one of the unknown aspects of a sale, right, is, is, is that when we sell a business, we're selling a, um, a portion of the sale price is in fixed assets um, yeah. and a portion is in goodwill. Um, and a part of those fixed assets also winds up being um, in networking capital. Um, I'm working with a uh, with a client right now that um, may wind up having to transfer about thirty eight million dollars worth of networking capital um, in the sale process. Um, and so, looking at their balance sheet, looking at accounts receivable, um, looking at inventory levels, um, you know, we do a twelve year average to determine networking capital. Um, if we could start 24 months in advance to start to um, expedite the collection time of accounts receivable, um, to lengthen the time of accounts payable, and to manage inventories to turn um, at an appropriate rate of revenue, that's going to change really the, a big piece of, of the transaction for the seller. For sure. Close and, the cash gap, right? Absolutely. And that, that's, the, that's the you know kind of number one place that I would tell a business owner to start when they're thinking about exit. Um, start thinking about what does your balance sheet look like? What's the debt ratios? And what can you do to, to, to really position the balance sheet? Because that's what the buyer is buying is the balance sheet. Position the balance sheet so it favors your situation in the transaction. Perfect. So, Michael, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd love them to uh, to call me at 612-850-6540. Um, but I know that it's uh, – and that's my, my uh, cell also, so it could be text – um, or I welcome emails at mhubsmith, that's H-U-B-S-M-I-T-H, um, at TNMA, True North Mergers and Acquisitions, dot com. Perfect. We will definitely have that in the show notes as well. We'll be tagging you on social media so people can find you that way. And Michael, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much. for right. jo- it's, been, it's been really fun to, to be here with you, Julie, and to, to share some of this. I feel like there's a lot more to it. And we could probably spend three more hours going into it. Um, it's a complex subject. And so I welcome any of your uh, your listeners to reach out to me. There's no cost. I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not an economist. I'm not a uh, 
tax advisor. I'm not an attorney, um, but I have a lot of valuable experience that I'd be happy to kind of share some of my my experience with uh, with some of your listeners. I appreciate that very much. I think that real world experience like that from colleague to colleague really is super essential, especially now. So thanks for joining us once again. And I agree with you. We should probably talk about the auction process next time because we haven't talked about that on the show before. Not in great detail, but I think that that would be um, a topic that our listeners would appreciate. So for our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Please share, review, and subscribe, and join us again next time.